Why don't y'all take a look at that sign up there? See what it says? Cash for your home? You know what that is? It's Bill Bill Boy. What are y'all, Amos and Andy? Are you stepping and he's fetching? I'm talking about the message, what it stands for. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. They bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything, black. Black owned with black money. Just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folk shooting each other and selling that crack rock and shit. Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on the TV, that's what you see, black oh, people yeah. selling the rock, right. pushing the rock, yeah. pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. It wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa, and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that shit. But they want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves. Yeah. They are pushing us out, and it's happening in every single major city with black people. It seems like we move around so much, like, as, as, as black people, you know? like every few decades almost, you know, based on the whims of a racist economy. And I just wonder like, will we ever have a home? Place to call home, it's like 400 years and like, we still don't really have a home. You have to consider um, some American history here. And the fact that F the FHA, the Federal Housing Authority, made it against the law for black folks to have FHA loans up until 1990. Like it was literally against the law for us to own property. So how do you build community where you don't own anything? I live in Inglewood. I just moved in my apartment two months ago. There's a lot of white people in my, in my apartment complex. I live on Hyde Park Boulevard. If you know anything about LA, 10 years ago, you couldn't fathom white people living on Hyde Park Boulevard. Gentrification, when coupled with white fear, can lead to the black residents of the black community being criminalized by the new residents who feel in danger. You have more white people moving into black neighborhoods. You have more black men getting locked up. Because now one place that you would, would have gone before that was part of your community, now if you go over there and you operate the same way in the same mindset that you were operating when it was part of your community, now that becomes a threat. So then now the police are called, then that white fear comes through. So it's like, oh, we can't go over here. We, it's kind of like a gang, like they're roping off this area for, for the affluent and they're roping off this area for those in poverty. I just feel like it's another way that we're moved around like cattle and we basically just have to react, you know what I'm saying? And we're reacting based on being, you know what I'm saying? They say that people who gentrify communities, they have like a 30 year plan. You know what I'm saying? Where we're just reacting to this plan.
So it's the displacement of not just their homes, but of um, history and culture and, um, you know, bit small businesses that are that's putting food on the table for many families. So it erases our history because I love history. I'm very passionate about it, especially when it comes to our, our own history. So that erases us. Gentrification across America erases Black America. This is undeniable. And that's dangerous for our, that's dangerous for our people. It's dangerous for our youth to feel this, to, feel, to be displaced from our communities because, um, again, a sense of self, the sense of self-worth, pride, cultural pride, it all, it's all sorts of fades away. It kind of breaks down the communities and, and people need community to, to raise children, to, to, to have a sense of belonging. So if I look around and I don't really see people like me interacting, then I kind of lose my sense of identity. People can lose their sense of identity when their community becomes gentrified. And, and this is happening all throughout the United States. I mean, you go to Harlem now, which is like the beacon of blackness, and Harlem is white. You know, you go to, um, you know, parts of, of like, you know, Compton and, you know, South Central Los Angeles, it's white, you know? So you have to ask, where did all these black people go? You kind of see history repeating itself in that it was ideal for white families to be in suburbia because it was clean and it was away from the noise and they, they didn't have to be around black folks. And now instead of coming in and, and being a part of the community, instead they're buying up the blocks and pushing black folks out because they still don't want to live around black folks. I, I can't, you know, put it all on white people. It's us too, you know. Black people start fleeing uh, for the suburbs, like I said, in the 70s and 80s, because they felt, I don't want to live around those kind of black people. So I'm gonna go move next to the people that's been oppressing me for hundreds of years treated me with no respect that caused a lot of the issues in my community, I'm gonna go uproot my family and move with these people. Now, what happens to someone like Maxine Waters, right? Who's been in the state, who's been in the, the, the Congress for what, 30, 40 years? Now, what happens when her areas, Inglewood, Watts, South LA, all of that, what happens when black people are not there no more? Who's gonna, who's gonna vote for that black black elected official, you can't you can't. It's hard to get a black elected official elected if their community it doesn't look like them. So we're not going to have any political power. We're not going to have any representation in Congress. Why? Because Watts ain't, isn't black anymore. Because Inglewood isn't black anymore. We couldn't reelect Maxine Waters, or we couldn't reelect the person that's going to take her her reins. Gentrification displaces a lot of African-Americans because we can't afford the, the new houses or the new areas that they are building. They're taking away the land, they're flipping it, prices are jumping up. Um, but on the other hand, it's helping the community because now they are putting um, places in, in there that will greatly help us out. Um, but unfortunately, um, the people that actually need the help, they're being pushed out. So I, I guess it's, you know, it's not really helping anyone at all except for those who can afford to stay in there. Isn't there a thing called the Whole Foods Effect?
I'm moving out of Harlem, my rent keeps going up. I'm from Brooklyn and I seen that firsthand. They kicked us out of our building. And it's forcing a lot of homelessness. A lot of families like grandmothers, people who was here since they were young, they have to find different places to live. I'm moving out of Harlem. Oh, you know you ain't going <laughs> You're right, you're right. I've been here too many years. But this is my home. I've been here most of my life in Harlem. I'm 123rd Street and I have a few problems right there now. We had a youth program for 23 years. This year, they denied it. With, with the people moving in the block, they have different opinions on different things. They don't want this, they don't want that. They don't want to keep Harlem the way it is. I'm Gary Schiff, I'm from East Harlem. I don't think of myself as a gentrifier. I guess because I feel a part of the community, have made friends up here, actually helped a friend open up a juice bar. We like the area, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to live here. A lot of these people didn't want to be here. A lot of Even when you look at it like, well, on one end, they are coming in with the best of intentions because they don't intend on doing that. You know, this is the liberal side of the oppressive, uh, racist agenda, or even just not even an agenda, just the liberal side of what racism can be. When you look at it from this perspective, you realize, like the saying goes, the pathway to hell is paved on good intentions. The cycle of gentrification does not really allow for Black people to have a say in what's actually being built in their communities, how it's actually going to benefit them, and you know what they want to do with that moving forward. So uh, for me, I would just say in terms of disenfranchising, it takes away our ability to choose. Well, put it this way. Let's say you're, uh, you bought your home in 1965 in England. We bought that home for $90,000. It's been paid off and everything. Now you're 70, your kids are grown, you're ready to retire. Your house is now worth $900,000. You deserve to get to reap the benefits of your investment. You surely do. But what happens is you want that money, and I, I get it. But Average black person can't afford a nine hundred, eight hundred, seven hundred thousand $700,000 house. Because we are so rooted in, in poverty as a result of being enslaved, you know, everything that, every decision that we make is based on that. And so uh, a lot of times we are uh, hustled and swindled out of our property and out of our neighborhoods, and we are left to hang to dry because you can't get back into the market. You sell your property in San Francisco or Oakland, you're not buying another property in San Francisco or Oakland. You're going to Arizona or Sacramento or wherever you're gonna go. The real problem is we don't own our communities. If we owned our communities, and we practice cooperative economics, we can keep our communities Black and help other Black people become homeowners. So, for instance, if I was in the shoes of these older Black people in Lamert Park and Inglewood and Compton and all these other cities that are booming in real estate, I would find a Black, young Black couple to sell my house to. And even if they didn't have the money and the credit yet, I would say, you know what, I'm going to help you get to a position or to a place to where you can buy this from me in five years and I'm ready to retire. And I have a clause in there that says, if you do decide to sell the home, it has to be to a black person. That's what they do in the Jewish community. My wife used to work in the Jewish community at, at one of their schools. That's what they would do, it's in their lease. 
we have to start um, becoming more unified so nobody even thinks about stealing our stuff. Nobody even thinks about trying to alter it or do anything to it. And I think that's what has to start happening for it to kind of make that shift. Gentrification has been extremely negative um, and negatively impactful for our community, but only because we have yet to be repaired. We could gentrify our own neighborhoods if we had the reparations and restorative justice required to allow us to do that. We're the sins of those who have built this nation, who have been enslaved, who have been disenfranchised since day one and divided among so many other factors. By the time the enslaved were emancipated, they comprised the largest single asset in America. Three billion and eighteen sixty dollars more than all the other assets in the country combined. The method of cultivating this asset was neither gentle cajoling nor persuasion, but torture, rape, and child trafficking. Enslavement reigned for 250 years on these shores. When it ended, this country could have extended its hallowed principles, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all regardless of color. But America had other principles in mind. And so for a century after the Civil War, black people were subjected to a relentless campaign of terror, a campaign that extended well into the lifetime of Majority Leader McConnell. It is tempting to divorce this modern campaign of terror, of plunder, from enslavement. But the logic of enslavement, of white supremacy, respects no such borders. And the god of bondage was lustful and begat many heirs coup d'etats and convict leasing, vagrancy laws and debt peonage, redlining and racist GI bills, poll taxes and state-sponsored state terrorism. We grant that Mr. McConnell was not alive for Appomattox, but he was alive for the electrocution of George Stinney. He was alive for the blinding of Isaac Woodward. He was alive to witness kleptocracy in his native Alabama and a regime premised on electoral theft. Majority Leader McConnell cited civil rights legislation yesterday, as well he should, because he was alive to witness the harassment, jailing, and betrayal of those responsible for that legislation by a government sworn to protect them. He was alive for the redlining of Chicago and the looting of black homeowners of some $4 billion. Victims of that plunder are very much alive today. I am sure they'd love a word with the Majority Leader. What they know what this committee must know is that while emancipation dead bolted the door against the bandits of America, Jim Crow wedged the windows wide open. And that is the thing about Senator McConnell's something. It was 150 years ago, and it was right now. The typical black family in this country has one-tenth the wealth of the typical white family. Black women die in childbirth at four times the rate of white women. And there is, of course, the shame of this land of the free, boasting the largest prison population on the planet, of which the descendants of the enslaved make up the largest share. The matter of reparations is one of making amends and direct redress, but it is also a question of citizenship. In H.R. 40, this body has a chance to both make good on its 2009 apology for enslavement and reject fair-weather patriotism. To say that a nation is both its credits and its debits. That if Thomas Jefferson matters, so does Sally Hemings. That if D-Day matters, so does Black Wall Street. 
that if Valley Forge matters, so does Fort Pillow. Because the question really is not whether we will be tied to the somethings of our past, but whether we are courageous enough to be tied to the whole of them. Thank you. So we need cash. We need tax-free status. We need special class status. We need free health care. We need mortgage relief, school loan relief, debt relief, credit card debt relief. It's like a total reset, right? And then you can get into society and make a difference. Our community and our culture is able to sustain every, anything that we're put through or we, that we deal with. Um, and that's what makes the community the community. They can come in and take it, but we find ways to preserve our, our culture, our legacy in so many different and various ways. So it's sad to see. Um, I love being in like black neighborhoods, but they're slowly, they're slowly disappearing because of gentrification. It is so sad to see. But whenever we're displaced, we make the best out of whatever situation that we're putting in and we make it thrive because of who we are. It's in our DNA. We're resilient, so nothing can stop us. Absolutely. I don't think it's hidden. Oh, for sure. Yes. No. Well, yes, I, I feel that way. Yes, I do. Yes, because of corporatism. No, I don't feel like there's a agenda to eradicate. No. Yes and no. Yeah, I'm not gonna answer that question. Yes. It's always an agenda, but it's an agenda of good and evil. Yes, there is. And we weren't brought here as citizens or to be people, whole people we were brought here as property we were enslaved and that we have not come to accept that and ground ourselves in that because that might have us demanding that society perform a little bit different for us. This is a yes and no question. Of course, yes. At this point, we shouldn't be surprised by it. We should just understand the game. Yeah. They're killing us through the food. This is a systemic, sustained attempt to eliminate us. If we weren't here, and if we weren't here for them to oppress, what would they do? What, then, then what? But for a lot of folks, they don't, they don't have access to healthy food and vegetables. And your gut is your second brain, if you don't know that. With already the lack of resources in the community, I mean, it just, you can say that's the hidden agenda right there. I think the overall goal is to control and suppress us. We've made so many different parallels and, and connections between all of the systems that we've talked about today. When you start to kind of level up at the same level or become higher, that's when this, I feel like um, systemat systematic racism comes into play and kind of puts, put people back in their place. I don't feel like it's a hidden agenda. So, I mean, like, I'm gonna say yes and no. Yes. 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 Extremely large, gigantic. Hey, could you help me? Yes. You feel me like? I wouldn't say that the goal is necessarily to eradicate us or commit genocide on us. But I think there were laws that are in place and that have never been overturned that um, is hindering the black community. Do I look at every white person I see and feel like they're out to get black people? No. Anti-blackness is a worldwide thing. 
we don't need to be naive to what's happening because we know that systematically the system is designed for us to only make it thus far. But we know exactly what's happening. It's what are we going to do about it at this point? We have to be better. We have to do more. We have to be good so that we can see when we are being oppressed. So we can see the agendas that are coming up against us. We need to know who we are and know how our power before anybody else, before the world. And we seem to have forgotten it. We seem to have lost sight on it. I don't believe they want to eradicate us, but they do want to keep our numbers at a more manageable number so they can control us and have us be their servers and their waiters so they can enjoy all that life brings. I'm not really a big conspiracy theory person. Just look at what's going on. Just, just look around and open your eyes. I'm like, damn, like, maybe it is a plot to get rid of black people or to decrease the numbers of black people. We know the answer. There are policies that keep a certain group of, um, I think it's more socioeconomic. Uh, and I think that there's, uh, the system is skewed to keep a certain group of people in power. D does that mean my answer should be yes? I don't know. You can take that as you, as you would. People know that when black people are strong and when we have every resource possible and all of the bells and whistles, we are unstoppable. And even though they try, you know, to stop us or try to hold us back, it can't happen. So that's all I have to say. And I'm just proud to be a part of the black community and proud to see that we're able to, you know, just overcome all the things that has been placed on us and continue to still laugh and celebrate and still, you know, have jokes for situations that happen um, because that's how we are. We're a whole community, no matter where we be, West Coast, East Coast, North or South, we're still a whole big family. Honestly, I think it's just time for us to bite back.